Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to US News and World Report, we're the 25th top paying career. Make an impact as a fact seeker and a truth teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. I feel like that's what I'm here to do, which mm -hmm. is equipping black people with the tools to deal with all this BS. This week, my guest is the gentleman cartoonist, Keith Knight. He is a syndicated cartoonist who regularly writes about racism, police violence, and the real world connections and nuances between the two. Now, he writes about most of these in two of his strips. One of them is K Chronicles, the other one is Think. But this week, a new show dropped on Hulu called Woke, which is an adaptation of Keith's life and his work, including his own run-in with police as an artist that was simply hanging up flowers one day in the park when he quote unquote fit the description. I also have some announcements about the Blurred Girl Live and a few places you might see my face pop up around the internets and some thoughts on that Lovecraft episode. You know the one, but first let's pay some bills. Do you run a hosted website on WordPress or is your site really slow? Have you gotten hacked in the past and you just didn't know what to do? Well, if so, you need SiteGround. Now, I am a SiteGround affiliate. I'm also a customer. In fact, I switched the blurredgirl.com over to them and never looked back. In fact, I've put other people onto them for two reasons, reliability and customer service. You can try it yourself at siteground.com slash go slash the blurredgirl. That's siteground.com slash go slash the blurredgirl. Now, unlike some other hosting sites that have a really great affiliate program and seem to be really popular, many of them don't have customer service. SiteGround has great customer service. They don't talk to you like an idiot. If you can't find something, they'll help you work through it. They have a really easy control panel. And SiteGround is really the truth. You can start hosting your site today for as low as $3.95 a month. You can run a store, a blog, anything really. And they can even move your whole existing site over for you from another hosting service and you don't have to worry about a bunch of code and stuff. So if you've been blogging or running a website for a while now, it's time to take your site and its security seriously and move up to SiteGround. Sign up today at siteground.com slash go slash the blur girl. In this episode, I am talking to Keith Knight, the co-creator of the new Hulu show, Woke. But I also got a chance to talk to the actor who plays him, Lamorne Morris. Uh, I did that for, I had an interview with him for Sci-Fi. You remember Lamorne. He was on New Girl, Always With That Cat. <laughs> and he was also in Bloodshot, um, I think, which was the last movie that I saw in a movie theater <laughs> this year. 
I also talked to his co-stars, Blake Anderson, T. Murph, and Sashir Zamata. Her name is not actually African in origin. It comes from Star Trek. Now, I know there's some Trekkies listening in. So if you figure out where her name comes from, hit me up on Twitter or in Instagram DMs, and I will let you know if you are correct. I'll put a link to that sci-fi interview in the show's description, so you can also check it out. Also, for those who missed my eight weeks of season one of The Blurred Girl Lives, all eight episodes, actually nine, I have a bonus episode with Black Girl Gamers. All nine episodes are up on OSNYC, and I'm coming back with a season two in October. I have not announced what day in October yet, but it's coming. But you can watch every single episode over there on OSNYC, uh, and I'm under the talk shows. So please check that out as well. I will also put a link in the descriptions. Also, there's a new convention coming in October called Afro Comic Con, and they currently are taking submissions for panels. They are a local Oakland area convention, and because of COVID, they're now going to be streaming their convention, but they're promoting... But they're promoting online right now and they're taking panel submissions. But I think that closes on September 14th. They are also taking cosplay submissions for their cosplay competition. But that doesn't end till like the end of the month, I think. So you got to check out the Afro Comic Con Instagram uh, to get those details. But hurry this weekend and put something together for panels because I'd love to see what y'all are talking about and thinking about right now. Finally, I have not written or commented on my site about Lovecraft Country yet, but y'all know I'm a fan. I've been on several other podcasts talking about it, and I've been on the Geeks of Color Lovecraft Country recap show. I think I did, I've done episodes two through four, I believe. And on Fansided's Lovecraft Country podcast, I was raving about the show with them. And I'm sure you've seen me yelling about it on Twitter every week. But I would be remiss if I didn't comment on episode four, The History of Violence. Now, my brief thoughts on that episode is that although Montrose drove me absolutely batshit crazy throughout most of the episode, the ending and the treatment of the indigenous character on that show was, there's no other word to describe it uh, other than horrific. And the fact that a trans or at least non-binary character, I believe, sorry if I got that wrong, was treated that way at the hands of a black man was what made it even more frustrating. And on top of everything else, it did not further the plot. No one can tell me like, oh, well, it furthered the plot point. No, it didn't. <laughs> um, and I'm frustrated because I think a very good show made a very bad move. But I will say more on that at the end of this podcast. My guest today is someone I've actually known for a few years, Keith Knight. Now, Keith is an American cartoonist and musician known for his comic strips, The K Chronicles, Inc., and The Nightlife. Now, while his work is humorous and universal in appeal, he often deals with social, political, and racial issues. The new Hulu show, Woke, is based on his life and some of the people in it. I have seen all six episodes, and I will warn you that towards the end of this episode, we get a little spoilery, but nothing too heavy. Woke is basically, to me, what happens when the white guy's best friend in a comedy gets his own show. <laughs> but I'll let Keith explain it. Up next, my interview with artist, writer, and now TV writer, Keith Knight. I have actually followed the K Chronicles for years. And, and we talked about this when I think I met you because it's originally what I was actually going to call my site. It was not going to be called The Blurred Girl. It was going to be called The K Chronicles. 
because my name is Karima. <laughs> <laughs> and when I looked it up, I'm like, well, somebody's already got this name. And that's how I found K Chronicles. This was like, I don't know, 2013, 2014. Um, and then I met you in person at the Schomburg Black Comic Fest. And I think I saw yeah. I saw one of your books from like across the room. I think it was They Shoot Black People, don't they? So I'm actually curious as to how much of the K Chronicles that I've followed has been or is featured in Woke. There are bits and pieces of all my work in the show, but it's more the sensibility mm -hmm. is in the show um, more than anything else. And um, so if, if you've followed me for years, you'll recognize some of the things. Um, if you've ever seen any of my police brutality or racial illiteracy slideshows, the characters break down in the pilot episode where he's saying all this stuff. Um, you've heard that come out of my mouth before. Mm -hmm. um, so there are a lot of small little things that you may have heard uh, a few times in the strips. And then also credit to who, Mo Marable, the director, um, he really wanted to incorporate he, he had signs made up that were based on like sync strips and stuff. There was a sign that said, you know, this precinct has not shot an unarmed black man in, in, in over seven days or something like that. And that's <laughs> a sign that's in the background of, of a scene. There's all these little things. And um, I don't even know if you can even see them like on the bus or on the back of the bus. Some of the ads, it's a, a lot of my sensibility in it, which I, I really, that's what I really love about it. People will see it and go, oh my goodness, like, how did they manage to retain so much of you in there, you know? So that's kind of cool. Yeah, no, it was very cool. And I and I did see some of those things. Um, I feel like when they were going around, I've seen the whole season. I feel like when they went around and were putting up posters um, for the shirts, <laughs> I feel like some of the the strips and some of the images. Uh, I feel like I've seen some of that stuff there, and then obviously the things on Keith's wall. I'm like, oh, I recognize some of that stuff. Curious. Let, let's go back a little bit farther. Where did you grow up? Oh, I grew up in in Boston. I grew up just north of Boston. Yeah, in Malden, Massachusetts. Raised on on you know hip hop, Warner Brothers, and racism. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and you, yeah. you helped co-write the show. I, I co-wrote the pilot and yeah, I was in the writer's room. So, you know, I worked, um, you know, I, I worked, uh, uh, on a lot of the scripts, but, um, it's interesting, you know, where it says, uh, teleplay by a certain particular person it really is a group effort mm -hmm. and uh i wanted to be in the writer's room i wanted to be on set i wanted to be it's one of those things where whenever i met somebody who sold something to hollywood you know they would always just be angry and bitter about what happened to it mm -hmm. you know because it was out of their hands and then somebody just took it so I wanted to make sure that if it was going to get screwed up, I wanted to be right there and be part of the screwing up. Right. <laughs> so there's no excuse. Like it would kill me if 
it went off into someone's hands and failed and I had nothing to do with it. You know what I mean? It was exhausting to be a part of it mm-hmm. um, because I didn't move back to LA. I was in North Carolina, <clears throat> but I stayed across on couch, couches and was in the writer's room. Flew back every two weeks. And then I was up on set in Vancouver and, you know, just every aspect of it, I tried to, you know, have a hand in whether it's, you know, what the apartment looked like, what the characters, how San Francisco looked, what, like who would be on the bus, who would be on like just everything, everything. And it was just really, really fun to see it finally come to fruition for you. When you start looking at scenes and go, Oh, okay. This looks like a TV show now. I'm very curious. How hard was that process? Because here's the thing for me, I know some of the stories. Like we've even talked about the 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 story about when you were putting up, you know, flyers for a band and and the the cop, you know, threw you to the ground and everything and it's a lot like what you do see in the pilot. But I remember you were saying it was a white friend of yours that ran over to the cops and was like screaming yelling at them. But I don't remember you saying he was your roommate. It was my roommate, but he was coming off a bus and he came from the industry. So, yeah, I mean I think different things happened in the writers' room. Things changed because of whether you know whether we had access to you know we didn't shoot in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. We had time constraints. We had money constraints. We had you know there were just just different things that 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 changed. And and I mean that's the thing with any type of art, right? It's not just about the the stuff that you have but it's also the stuff that you don't have mm-hmm. and 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 the the obstacles that are placed in front of you so one of the interesting things about shooting in Vancouver is we shot it in January and February is it like broke records as far as precipitation goes oh my God. It, it like rained or snowed 30 out of the 32 days or something shot and so um so we, there were outdoor shots. There were scenes that were meant for outdoors that we had to shoot indoors. Mm-hmm. And those turned out to be the most interesting scenes because we had to change things up and do something different. And, and so they just turned out to be really interesting. Coming up with, with how the animation was going to manifest itself in certain, certain scenes, you know? One of the interesting things is watching which I really love to see is that is a black people for rent t-shirt sort of do its thing. You that know? was decidedly, you was like, Oh my God, if Keith, Keith, Keith you do this in real life, you probably would. And then be standing there at a con at convention <laughs> with the shirt, like what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, you know, it, it, but it was just fun to be able to sit there and sketch out like what, the letters of what kind of face it would make mm-hmm. and, and then to like give it to the animators and then they make it work. You know? It was just really, I just loved that type of aspect of it, of just um, having an idea and watching it become, you know, just something that was just greater than what you had imagined, you know, way better than you ever thought it was. And that's what it seemed to be with all the creative people there is taking um, an idea I had and then making it 
is so much more interesting. I was actually also surprised because for me, I've always known you as woke, <laughs> but this show really does feel like your origin story because the Keith that we first meet is not woke. I think that's what Ayana is uh, kind of looking at. I'm like, oh, you don't, you don't get what's actually happening here. Can did you yourself go through that drastic of like obviously? Police brutality brings with it a whole heap of trauma, and we will touch on that. But did you yourself really, before that incident, go, you know, I'm I'm just a dude out here just drawing stuff, man. You know, I'm I'm not I'm just an average dude. I don't I don't want to talk about my ethnicity or my race. No, I mean no. That's that's really. I mean, basically, we had to take a whatever, a 30-year journey. <laughs> In about 10 minutes. Eight episodes. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, so, you know, I, I I knew sort of, like, if there's this criticism to bring to the character, it's like, why did, he, why did he know this stuff before? He does know this stuff before, but for it to hit so viscerally, where it's just like, because, I mean, you do sort of live in, in, in a bubble in the sense that, you know, and San Francisco was one of those places where it's like, oh, everything's cool and fun and, and and hip until something, you know, something jarring like that happened. So I was doing I was doing these cartoons for a long time before when the incident happened to me. So in real life, it wasn't that. It it, it, it just made me double down even more. As it was happening, I was like, oh my god, this is the thing I read about, and now I'm in it right now. You know? Yeah. But with series, the, the the characters have to go on an arc, right? They have to go on a journey. So um, it was like, if there's any character, if there was anything that we could do with this character, it's, it's that. It's to have, you know, he's in San Francisco. He's protested. He's done all this different stuff. But for it to actually happen to him, um, and, and honestly, like, when it did happen to me, it is a surprise. Like when it really when it comes down, I knew that it ha happened, but like for it to, to, especially where I was, cause I was at the edge of Golden Gate Park, just hanging up posters, you know? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you turn around and a police officer is behind you. It's like, where did you even come from? The great thing about it though is, um, and about this show is that it's showing, I have not seen this black man on TV before. I haven't. There has been the black friend. There has been the black friend with the white girlfriend. There has been the, but they have been tangential. They haven't been a fleshed out character. So what's interesting yeah. is this is actually fascinating. It is the, all like the whole crew is sort of, you know, college, the college educated middle-class, you know, folks living in San Francisco, making a life for themselves as artists. I don't know about Clovis. Clovis is making his life, but but just like <laughs> just like Keith said though, Keith in the show says to Clovis, like I expected something like this to happen to you, not me. And that's very yeah. that's real because that's a discussion that I think that is happening in black communities right now, who for people who are protesting police brutality, but and people who turn around and it's like, well, you've never had a problem with police. It's like, but that's not the point. This shouldn't happen. You know? Yeah. And I think yeah. it's so interesting. It looked different when you started working on the scripts and co-writing. It looked different when you saw it 
on screen. And now it looks different dropping in the middle of 2020 in this historic time. What does that feel like looking at your story through those sort of three different uh, lenses? I feel like you haven't really seen that on TV, which is, yeah, but, well, you could say the white dude's black friend, like that, that friend is now front and center. Like mm-hmm. I, I felt like it was an extension of what I do, mm-hmm. which is when I first started the King Chronicles, I was like, you know, how come every time they show someone who's into hip hop, like they're in a gang or they're in, you know, this is the early nineties. Yeah. So how come, you know, how come I'm not seeing anybody like me and my friends, like in the media? So it was important for me to create this comic book about someone who was into hip hop, but who's also like into politics and smart and into other music and into nerdy stuff and into, you know, in the early nineties, you just didn't see that. And so it was important for me to bring that. Um, and I'm hoping that the same thing happens with the show so that people haven't seen the character, this character before. And, but, and, and if they did, it was, it was never the lead character. And so this was important for me to, to have this, this as the lead and I mean it's it's very subtle but you can just see how sort of black culture leads most of everything in the show mm-hmm. um, in a very subtle way so even when we used songs like like you know I fought the law like that's you know people always know I fought the law with the clash they associate it with that yeah it was important for me to do you know to have like a, a black version uh, a reggae version it was important you know rainy days and mondays you know it's a it's a carpenter song we specifically had an r&b cover version of it in there mm-hmm. um the jokes about sort of how Adrian doesn't she doesn't understand why people go yo Adrian to her her. she doesn't understand it's not her culture yeah yeah but but you know and he says Rocky and she's like Rocky like what's Rocky and he goes it's the the prequel to Creed and then she's like oh Creed I love Creed you know just like (laughs) it's 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 a it's a subtle thing but but that's I don't know. That's to me. That's what makes me happy about the show. It's a very subtle thing, and and you know, just sort of taking to task folks who uh, think they're in a liberal bubble of you know, like, well, we're not like the South or something like that, you know. And yeah. it's just like, no, this goes on everywhere, and like, no one should think that they're better than anyone else. Like, as far as like you know, this whole systemic racism thing. So it's, um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting journey to do all that we did and sort of, you know, and hope man, we're just hoping that we can get another season to sort of, you know, we're hoping that, like you said, 
a lot of people had a hard time grasping this because they they hadn't seen it before. But we're hoping that it works well enough to get us a second season, so we can, so there aren't the question marks anymore, and we can just go, you know, full Ferraro. <laughs> yeah, and I also think that looking at it from my perspective, I personally think that the entire season is him his his processing of trauma. It, it it's it's yeah. showing up in a bunch of different ways. He's got you know floating comic book characters we've got 40 i can't look at i can't go to the bodega anymore thanks to you because i can't look at the 40s without thinking they're going to talk to me um there's tons of there's tons of these little moments but it's all versions of him processing his trauma when you went through your the the real life incident did you immediately go go and draw it is that how you processed it yeah see and that's the thing that I, I thank I thank God for, which is I've been able to process all this stuff for decades through my work, you know, mm-hmm. and what's going on now and what's been going on forever. I can't imagine not having something like this to process it through, you know. Yeah. Um, I would I would go completely insane, and and I mean I think that's what happens is people people act out in different ways if they don't have a place to sort of channel that energy. And, um, so for me, yeah. Um, this, I mean, my slideshows that I do going <laughs> yeah, I don't do it around the country anymore. I do it virtually, but just, yeah, my virtual slideshows on, on America's racial literacy, where I just sort of <laughs> just, uh, rants about about everything that they don't teach us about systemic racism, you know, and and how just how we need to be equipped. Like if we know this stuff, then we're better able to deal with it. Um, I think is is that's part of my process. Like that's part of. I feel like that's what I'm here to do, which mm-hmm. is equipping black people with the tools to deal with all this BS. I just hope I leave this planet equipping my kids with the tools to deal at a much younger age, um, to deal with the BS that they got to deal with growing up in this country. And, um, I will feel like my work is complete, but, but that I, I hope they can learn through, all my comic strips, all the the slideshow stuff and and stuff like the TV show is all just a part of it. Yeah, and I think that's also really important just to touch on because uh, I think a lot of people will look at not realizing how the trauma affects everything. Like his trauma affected his relationship. Like he felt he could not go to his girlfriend and say what what had happened to him and discuss it. Now that might've been because of who she was, but she, you know, she was confused. Like, why wouldn't you talk to me? And I think that's, that's, that's very interesting. And then the person that he was able to confide in doesn't know much about what's going on in this country and doesn't know, you know, is not from, you know, did not grow up with the, American ethos. She's not just white. She's not 
she's not, uh, she's Australian. So it's a completely different view for him. But by then he's, he's still processing and he's still having trouble being in a relationship. So it's, it's interesting yeah. how, uh, and then obviously, you know, his friends, but I think that is something that is not talked. I mean, you know, in the black community, we don't talk about trauma. We don't go to therapy. Um, so, and then if we do go to therapy, we go to, we, we might see a therapist that doesn't understand our history or think that we're playing a victim. So then you're even therapy isn't helping. Yeah. If there's any advice I would give to young doctors who want to pursue something, a career, it would be in mental health. And I feel like, like we need therapists who look like us, mm-hmm. who've experienced what we've experienced and to have people that we can talk to because it's just, it's, it's insane. It's insane to, to watch the news. It's insane to, it's in, not just the news. It's insane to see someone like Macklemore, you know, mm-hmm. beat out, you know, Kendrick Lamar for best hip hop album. That's traumatizing. That's really traumatizing, you know? <laughs> or Adele beat and, out Beyonce. Like, come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with, with Adele, with, and she'll admit it's like her like third best album, you know. Or Ben Affleck's brother beat out Denzel Washington. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, just, we're just watching mediocre, <laughs> mediocre white men host late night television next to a far more talented black band leader who's not only funny, but is a great musician, you know? Yeah. It, it's it's like you see that on every show and you're just like, really? Um, so we see it in, in everything. <laughs> in, in everything. The NBA logo. Why do I have to look at a white man in the NBA right. logo? <laughs> All of the, the, the side characters, um, Ayana and Clovis and Gunther, You've already explained that you did have an actual white roommate, so I'm assuming that's who Gunther is based on. They're all amalgamation of different people. So, um, yeah, there are no real particular people that they're based on. Um, So, you know, I did have one black roommate and one white roommate when the thing happened with the police and all that stuff. But, you know, they're not not based on them. you know, I remember when I first did the Gunther strip, it was really, you know, this one stoner dude was at my youth hostel and um, he just kept on always asking me if I wanted to get stoned while I was behind the desk. And I was like, no, I didn't want to get stoned. And then when I got off the shift, um, I said to him, I said, hey, you want to get high? And he's like, yeah, yeah. So I, I took him over to um, uh, this hotel and down downtown San Francisco that had these great elevators that shot up like 44 flights and they were outdoor elevators. So I took them over there and we got in there and we started going up. And once it emerged that we were outside, he freaked out and he like leaped against the wall. And I was like, what's the matter? And he's like, he goes, I, he goes, I thought we were going to get high. And I said, no, I, I, it was a play on words. Like, I was getting her. That character, I just 
thought like, wow, that'd be a fun character to have around uh, for all this stuff. And so, so that, you know, potentially became Gunther, like the regular character. And I got to ask what your favorite episode and or scene um, is in the show. It's hard to say what my favorite episodes are, but yeah, there are favorite scenes that I have and, but they're, and they're all for different reasons. You know, I really like the scene in the pilot with Clovis and Keith when they find the wallet, Mm -hmm. because that was the first scene that I think I wrote where I was like, Oh, I can write for television. (laughs) Cause it, 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 really establishes the two char- characters it really does. well in one scene. And when, and when he, th- when Clovis threw and, it, I yelled, like I yelled out loud when he threw it. I was so funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that was, we shot that on a street. Um, first of all, you know, we, we changed the name of my character yeah. to Keith, K E E F. We shot that on a street called Kiefer street, K E E F E R. And the bus that went on that street was called, it's called the night bus, can I Oh my god! So, yeah. So that scene, like, is this this weird kind of like, oh my goodness, like, there were no, you know, there were no accidents. This is all meant yeah. to be. <laughs> so that one was a really uh, enjoyable scene, and I I like the scene where uh, the end word game where Cypress Hill mm-hmm, comes mm-hmm. on, and they're all trying to guess who's gonna say the end word first. Um, oh, in the bar, yeah, yeah, and then like Cecile is is just amazing throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just the way she, uh, she just brought it so so good. So the scenes, I think um, the scene with her and Clovis when he buys her mm-hmm. shoes. And uh, she accuses him of, of lurking on her Instagram. Yes. <laughs> and um, uh, it's a, a couple where she's like kicking Keith out of out of the the uh, office of the of the magazine. Mm-hmm. I think she's really good. But and all all of them and uh, Adrian when um, you know when she first comes out of Keith's um, Keith's bedroom like. I was like, I, I want her to do the opposite of a walk of shame, yeah. you know? So I want to just walk right out and just grab a piece of toast, you know, walk right out to these dudes, doesn't know, grab a piece of toast, take a bite out of it and walk out. You know, like those, just those things, when you see it come to life, you're just like, yeah, <laughs> that's what I want. That's what I want. But also I have a very special scene, which is um, in episode seven, um, when the when the panda, I mean the koala, knocks Lamorne out, um, that's that's me and that koala. Costume. Is it really? <laughs> I am the koala. <laughs> I am the koala. That's amazing. So you are in this show. <laughs> yes, that's that's the that's the secret Easter egg. But um, but I just remember when I was throwing that punch. That's hysterical. I heard someone, I heard someone say. I don't think he's ever thrown a punch in his life. <laughs> oh wow! So, that was, that was, um, <laughs> well, what, what, what was yours? What was your favorite episode or favorite scene? 
Okay, my honestly, my favorite episode was six. And I'll tell you why. I feel like six, everybody had to confront their demons. And they had to, like, they all kind of had to do with sitting, sitting down. I mean, Gunther got to do with laying down, but I, I think they all had to have these conversations and real ones. And it was nice seeing nobody shy away from it. Because, like, many times in comedies, the comedy, you know, the real serious situation is supposed to happen, and it just happens in a one line or in a look, and then the joke happens and the scene is over. But every single, you know, um, Keith and Adrian, um, even Clovis and Ayana, and then, of course, Gunther and his two new friends all had to have conversations. And it was also very funny how at the end of the scene they all ended up watching TV together, except for Ayana. But the roommates were, you know, were there. That's my favorite episode. Favorite scene? I don't know, man. That's a toss-up because you named, like, a bunch of them. Like, when, he, when Clovis throws the wallet. And uh, I also really like how Ayana, um, because that thing with Clovis confronting her about the shoes, I have been that person. Like, I have literally been at a convention and somebody's come up to me and been like, here, I got you this thing. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, well, yeah, you said on Instagram that you like this. And I'm like, that is creepy. <laughs> That is very, very creepy. Uh, excellent. I mean, not excellent, yes. but I mean, yeah, like I'm glad that like, you know, it rings true in a, in a, in a sense and, and that it's, yeah, it, it is cre creepy. Thank you so much for That's for talking to me about the show. Thank you. I, you know I'm happy for you. I'm, I was thrilled when I heard you were working on this. I was thrilled when I heard you were working with uh, Maurice. Um, the uh, years and years and years ago, I edited... Um, a couple commercials for Maurice. So that's actually how I know him back from my post-production oh, okay. days. Yeah, he's, um, he's so yeah, good. Yeah, he's amazing. He's amazing. And, and uh, I really do hope you get a second season because it will be very interesting to see where all these characters land because Keith at the beginning of the show is not the same Keith at the end. And yeah, I really yeah. would like to see what, what uh, this next Keith does next. So... Again, thank you so much. I really appreciate you um, talking to me. Oh, it's it's an honor, and uh, no, it's 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 great. And I, I just uh, yeah, I'm just psyched that you you dig it, and uh, I hope uh, a lot of folks dig it. really think you all should check out the show because I want to hear what you think. Now, as usual, if you like this episode, please comment and subscribe over on iTunes. And if you really liked it, please screenshot this episode and tag me in a post over on Instagram stories telling me what you think. And if you love this episode, please contribute to my coffee page. I'll put the link in the show notes. Next week, I will sit down with the host of HBO's official Lovecraft Country podcast, one of whom writes for the show and discuss all the episodes further, including episode four. So make sure you watch episode five of Lovecraft Country this weekend, and make sure you check out DC Fandom tomorrow to see my interview about the brand new Nubia comic. See you next week, folks. <laughs> <laughs>